0: It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond.
1: Welcome into the Sports Objective Podcast. I'm Dave Richmond, along with Kyle from LaGrange Barber. How are you, man?
2: What's going on, Dave? How are you?
1: Great for this Monday evening. We're recording now. And Bubba Rosenbaum in China Grove. How are you, man? Doing well, guys. Hope y'all are. Yeah, absolutely. We're uh, here. A uh, brand new week. A lot of stuff to talk about. With the pirates and beyond, uh, we hey got to give uh, Kyle from McGrange a shout out as he always does a great job as Bubba does with getting guests and promotion. And uh, Kyle, I'll, we'll, uh you tell one of the guests we've got coming up, and Bubba, you tell mother we'll, I'll start with Kyle.
2: Yeah, uh, we uh, we 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 interview people from all sectors of sports, particularly as everybody knows listening. We focus a lot on East Carolina athletics, you know. But we've had all kinds of different people on here. Well, uh, one thing we hadn't had is Anybody from the world of pro wrestling on here and uh as uh, me and Dave has mentioned in the past, uh we're we're both wrestling fans from way back and uh we had a chance to catch up with uh Eastern North Carolina native from uh Johnston County, C. W. Anderson. Uh many of you who are hardcore wrestling fans will know CW from his days in E C W Extreme Championship Wrestling. Also did some appearances in the WWE. And, uh, of course, all throughout the independence here in North Carolina. So, nice long conversation with C.W. about his career, professional wrestling in general, and uh, his past in baseball. And uh, was actually recruited uh, by East Carolina, amongst other places to play uh, college baseball. And so, uh, great conversation we had with him.
1: That was awesome. And, Bubba, speaking of baseball, got a great guest coming up, starting off things.
3: Yeah, four-game week for the Pirates, and it'll get underway on Wednesdays. 4 o'clock, the Liberty Flames will be at Clark LeClaire. This is a game that was actually added to the schedule very late um, when we uh, still needed to add on a 56 game. And so we had played the Flames in the fall and had that opening, so it was was a nice pickup by Cliff and staff. And uh, Scott Jackson's ball club will, like I said, be coming in 4 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, and we caught up with Scott Jackson. To talk about Liberty, who is seven and four up to this point.
2: Speaking of Liberty, Bubba Dave, I'm going to do a callback. Uh, do you guys think, uh, you know, John Gilbert didn't say it wasn't somebody we already have played that we're looking at a, uh, long-term group of five, uh, home and home with. But, uh, I did wonder if it was somebody we hadn't played, would it be Liberty? I wonder if that okay. be the original group. But that, that's not technically a group of five. Because they're independent.
3: Right, yeah.
2: Um, I'm sure they'd be labeled as such, though, by most people. Yeah, Uh,
3: that's not a a bad guess. Uh, That's pretty good connecting the dots there. That's something that uh, we had heard about, I I guess, maybe talking to Damien Sordalette, who's a beat writer with Liberty. I mean, that's something we had discussed and how that was probably going to be announced maybe Sooner rather than later. I mean, it was kind of speculation, but at the same time, I mean, it certainly certainly makes sense. And uh, yeah, so I, I, they've the, already signed uh, deals with the likes of Syracuse and North Carolina and different ones. So, I mean,
2: right. And we have Appalachian on the schedule. We have Charlotte on the schedule. Uh, the only the only regional opponents I can think of that it would be that it, it, it could be a coastal or another or another series with Old Dominion.
1: Yeah, Old Dominion is what well, I was thinking too. So we, not, he, he, we know it's not that team in Blacksburg, right? I mean, they wouldn't come to their senses <laughs> in Valley. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Well, so that would he, be, that would seen, be uh, unfortunate. Yeah. I'm not holding my breath.
2: Probably down the road. Uh I think people it will right, yeah.
1: That's my – you know what? You know when uh, when you were – you guys were talking to Elliot Avent and he said a series, uh, and you guys – and Kyle, you made that point about how He's taken so much grief. I think that down the road, not in the short term, in the long term, it made me think, I'm glad you guys said that, uh, Kyle, um, the very fact that it made me think of when you were doing that, when we had that interview, yeah. that at some point Virginia Tech is going to realize the series is just as important to East Carolina as it is to Virginia Tech. Both teams need that series. And yeah, I'm not saying I, I, that it think, has to be every year. It doesn't have to be every single year, but every few years I think is good for Blacksburg and Greenville.
2: Yeah, it'll probably happen again. Uh, It it, it could be years from now. I think one thing that's going to happen is we're going to have to be relevant again for people to start talking about it and wanting to see it in terms of, besides East Carolina. I I don't even know the East Carolina thing. I don't want to see it until we're relevant again we don't want to lose. But um, I think once uh, once we start winning football games again and – new administration up there, yeah. I I doubt you'll ever see the long-term relationship like we used to have, but, yeah, home and home again, I'm sure it will happen.
1: And you know what? It's one of those things where it's just a bad time right now, and it's like a bad storm we had between the two parties, and I think eventually things will clear up. And who knows? Like I said, I don't think, I know with Terry Holland we had it where it was a series of almost like every single year, um, I, I understand from both parties, maybe that's too much, but every few years to play, you know, one in Greenville, one in, you know, maybe have one in, uh, a neutral site would be cool too. So, but anyway, we'll get to, uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I'm not going to spend more time and I'm not going to hold my breath in the short term because I want to live. Um, guys, I'll tell you what, disappointed to see, uh, Bubba, I know you and Kyle have seen them. I haven't seen all the polls, but, I'm just disappointed. I'll say this. I'm just disappointed. I know we lost two games this weekend, but we lost to Indiana and we also lost to, uh, I mean, Ole Miss. We played them, we played them toe to toe. We didn't get blown out by Ole Miss. And so I'm just disappointed to see that we're out of one poll. We're close to out of another one. I haven't seen all the polls, but have you guys seen every one of them now?
3: Yeah. we we fell out of three polls and then uh, we we are still ranked as high as 22nd. Um, that that ranking of 22nd is in the NCBWA poll, the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association, and uh, the ranking of 25th in Baseball America. So we fell five spots in each of those two polls, from 17th to 22nd and 20th to 25th. Uh, but but um, yeah, we did drop out of the other three uh, collegiate baseball, uh, D one baseball, and I guess the coaches poll. So, uh, mm-hmm. but no, no, no huge deal there. I mean, you, you have a good week or two, and and right. we'll be we'll be right back to where we were, or maybe even higher. So.
2: Did I see it right today? Uh, somebody posted something I was looking at. Are we down to fifty in the RPI after this weekend?
3: Oh, the RPI. I th- the Get longer the season, yeah. Early in the season, RPI is kind of weird. Like, I mean, because yeah. I'm trying to remember who else. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the team that I saw. Uh, I want to say it was maybe one of the Ivy League schools that had played two ball games, and they they were ranked ahead of us. I mean, right. it's just, yeah. I mean, it's okay. kind of weird this early in the season, but as the season goes on, fix it all fixes itself. Yeah, it kind of it fixes itself.
1: And the great thing about it is, and the cool thing is that. I would be really concerned if, let's say, we played all three games this weekend and we got blown out by all three. Um, and, uh, anyway, I, m- I won't go there where I was getting ready to go. Um, well, have, before we hey, get on, lost did, did he say who was you, number
3: one? Wait a
2: minute. No, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on now, uh, Bob. I think Dave, Dave was just trying to say he would be concerned had we lost all three games this weekend in the Keith LeClair Classic. And had we lost all three games in the Keith LeClair Classic, <laughs> that would have been the first time that had ever happened.
3: Right, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that well, Dave, one. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave, Cliff, Cliff Godwin would have a special message for you right now, just like he did for another <laughs> member of the media. We we yeah, didn't lose. That was really funny. I, I know, I, I, I know, I know we didn't, I know you didn't lose, Coach, but, but if you did,
2: <laughs>
3: and, I, I was not aware of that bit of information.
2: Yeah, that's great. Right. If you hadn't had a chance to check Cliff's interview out post game yesterday, uh, it's just fantastic. So, I'm just
3: um, try i just try to make sure my team's up to play.
2: <laughs> As Bubba's quoting Cliff right now, check yeah. out a lot of you. Yet, yet it's, it's good stuff. Yeah.
3: It is. You know, that's
1: why I love Cliff Godwin because he's intense and the uh, he he's a no he's a no nonsense kind of guy, and the very fact that. Don't ever the the one thing that was. You know what?
2: Cliff Godwin has the personality of an SEC football coach.
1: Yes. You don't (laughs) ever get hypotheticals.
3: Yeah, Nick Nick Saban.
2: Yeah, Nick Saban. Exactly. That's
3: that's. I'm not going to tell you you who's starting on Wednesday against Liberty. So quit asking.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of uh, Liberty, you want to go to our first guest?
3: Yep, um, ear- earlier on Monday we caught up with Scott Jackson, the head coach of the Liberty Flames, in his fourth season after a long stint set at North Carolina and then also uh, down at UNC Wilmington under Mark Scaff. And the Flames are off to a 7-4 and start, and let's catch up with Coach Jackson right now.
1: Well, big game in the midweek, Bubba, in Greenville. I'm very excited to have our next guest.
3: Absolutely. The Pirates will be taking on the Liberty Flames on Wednesday, 4 o'clock at Clark LeClaire Stadium. And right now, to preview that matchup, we welcome in the fourth-year head coach of Liberty, Scott Jackson. Coach, welcome in. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me.
1: Absolutely, Coach. Uh, starting out, a uh, tremendous job that have done so far. And uh, we're going to talk about the preview. Can you talk about one of the things I've been really impressed with the university as a whole is the facilities at, at Liberty. It's amazing
0: yeah it is I mean it's a commitment from you know from the top starting with you know our president Jerry Falwell Jr. who's um, really continued the legacy of his father and how sports can be such an avenue for our mission here at Liberty and and our athletic director is uh, just he gets it and he's a tremendous supporter of all of our programs and just a a great place to coach and and be a college student and they don't give us um, there's no excuses here you've got all that you need to win and uh, our, our student athletes, you know, really benefit from that, and the facilities here have grown just in my four years. It's been incredible to watch it, you know, just kind of watch it unfold.
3: Coach, you talk about winning. Uh, so your first couple years, and your program won 32 ball games each of those seasons, and then last year you broke through with the A Sun title, 43 wins, and went to the Chapel Hill Regional where you won a game against Tennessee in the opener. So, talk about the development of your program before we dive into this year's club.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's you know any any team that has you know some success has good players, and we've just you know we've been fortunate to have you know just some really talented players and some kids that um, that have bought into it. We we really needed to kind of tailor our roster um, more to the the pitching and defense side of things. It took us a couple years to get some of the arms in place um, and and a little bit more athleticism uh, defensively, but. You know, we've been fortunate to have um, some really good, you know, so just some really good pitching and and defense that's allowed us to do that. Our home ballpark is it's a graveyard. Uh, it's a great place to pitch, and you know, you've got to have some guys to cover some ground out there. So that was really, you know, kind of the start for us to try to get that look on our roster, if you will. And you know, I think anytime you can pitch a little bit, you know, you you have a chance. And so things kind of came together for us last year. Uh, we had the conference player of the year, and John Embry, and you know he was a, a a ninth round pick to the to the Rays, and so you know just uh, a chance to really have exactly what we wanted. Um, we've got some older players back this year. Um, we're fighting the injury bug, but hopefully, kind of still headed in the right direction. And, and even though we're not healthy, hopefully, we can get there
3: and and get back to where we want to be in the postseason. Very quickly before we dive into this year's club. So you had the opportunity to spend 5 years under Mark Scaff at UNC Wilmington and then also uh, I guess 8 at Chapel Hill under under um UNC head coach Mike Fox. So just talk about what you learned from those two legends. Man, uh that's a that's a loaded question and I'm glad you asked that because I've learned I mean those two
0: guys are my mentors. Uh I you know from a from a coaching standpoint um the the baseball part of it, yeah. Um, that's a, that's kind of a given, but it's more about, you know, being a husband and being a dad and and being a mentor and, um, doing the right thing and, and always, you know, having the kids kind of at the front of your thoughts and, you know, how you can serve them and, and how you can also, you know, have your arms around a program and be able to move it in the right direction. I mean, Coach Gaff, you know, he, he would never do anything, um, you know, or ask you to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. And, you know, I learned that right out of the gate as a young assistant. Um, I'm sure Cliff, you know, would tell you the same thing. You know, we were on the same staff together down there w- with Mark, and and then you know, in Chapel Hill, I mean, just the organization and um, just the values and the things that that Mike Fox holds as you know the standard of that program are incredible. And you know, so I would say those are the things I learned the most from them. Not to mention a practice plan and how to practice and how to hold your players accountable on the field and. I think all those things, you know, start to add up, and you don't realize it maybe at the time, but you look back on it, you get you know a chance to be a head coach, and I, I I catch myself maybe even saying and doing some of the same things that those guys did. They they left a big mark
3: on me. Taking a look at the the talent you referenced that talent earlier, um, I know I believe it was Baseball America had in their A Sun preview they had um, Junior Will Wagner as the preseason conference player of the year, and then you also had the pitcher of the year. Uh, so. To so talk about those two individuals, if you will, yeah. What
0: Will's um, Will's the son of Billy Wagner, um, you know, the the closer, former closer, the the Astros and, and Phillies and Mets. Great baseball kid, uh, grew up around the game. Um, he's a tremendous worker, practice player. Um, he's in the cage all the time. Just one of those blue collar kids. Unfortunately, he won't be available when we come to Greenville. He's one of our players that's um, that's, that's nursing some injury right now. We're hoping to get him back here some point in the next you know week to 10 days i'm hoping but um he's he, he had a tremendous year for us last year and, and really made some progress with his approach at the plate he's a great defender at second um kind of a long rangy kid that they can really you know do some things for us on both sides of the ball our our preseason pitcher of the year was noah skiro who, who's been here this is his junior year um, I recruited him a little bit when I was at the University of North Carolina, um, and as soon as I got the job here at Liberty, I immediately – he was one of the first kids that I followed up with, and you know we had a great visit with him and his family, and he's been in our location for three years and somebody that's continued to make strides and get better. Our new pitching coach, Matt Williams, has helped him tremendously, I think, with his delivery. Uh, he's coming off a great Cape Cod this past summer, so a lot of confidence, and so far, so good with Noah. He's been great for us.
3: You talk about that weekend rotation; it's been very solid. But we will obviously are going to be meeting in midweek on Wednesday afternoon, and I know thus far uh, Mason Hand—he's been your midweek guy against Radford and Longwood, two and zero with a point eight two ERA and just allowed a six hits and eleven innings of work. So, um, tell us a little bit about Mason.
0: Well, Mason's coming back off of Tommy John. Um, he got his feet wet for us as a freshman in eighteen, and you know, unfortunately, went down with an injury and that's one of the best you know most rewarding things i think about coaching is watching these kids you know go to work and say you know doggone it i'm going to be back and i'm going to be back better a better version of who i was before i got hurt throw in a new pitching coach matt williams who's really helped him with his delivery and some of the metrics and the analytics with his ball and how it plays and he's really bought into that and it seems like he's just taken steps forward he's a big you know six four right-handed pitcher that. You know, has a has a high spin ball and a guy that can you know pitch at the top of the zone a little bit, and he can also mix in a changeup and a you know and a breaking ball. It's a good starter look. It's a guy that's you know got three pitches, and you know we're we're fortunate to have a midweek arm like that that we can count on and and continue to run out there. So I'm excited about Mason and and his progress, and and hopefully he can continue to just grow and get better as the season goes. Will he get the ball on Wednesday afternoon? No, he will
3: not. Okay. okay. Uh, ha- have you named a starter yet, or?
4: We
0: haven't. Um, we've got a okay. midweek game tomorrow with uh, with Elon here, and Mason will get the ball
3: in that midweek
0: game just okay. to keep him on his routine. And um, after we get through that one, we'll figure out who's
3: the best option for us against the Pirates. Okay. Uh, taking a look at your bullpen, um, I know Garrett Price, Landon Riley, Troy Britt, so those three arms have been very solid for you thus far in the early going. Uh, so talk about your, talk
0: about your uh, relievers. Well, we like it, you know. We got some different looks. We like those guys in shorter stints. We've had to extend Price um a little bit more than I would have liked to mainly because I trust him so much. Um you know, he hasn't thrown as many strikes this year um as he's as he wants to. Um but he seems to make big pitches in big spots and he's done that for his whole career. He just set the appearances record at Liberty uh yesterday when he came out of the bullpen for the 81st time in his career. So, just really proud of him and the leadership that he gives us down there. Landon Riley's a great you know great story uh he was just going to school here um and had no intentions of of being on the baseball team i got a call from Deese, the head coach at orange high school you know there in hillsboro north carolina and uh he came out through a bullpen and now he's he's uh he's you know probably our best option at closer right now just the the way he's looked early at 9092 with a good you know low 80 slider uh troy britz has really done a good job he's a sinker guy with a lower arm slot a uh, very athletic kid, uh, high aptitude, made some great adjustments for us. And, um, you know, Erickson's got some arm strength. Um, he's, he's had a couple outings that he's frustrated with, but those are guys that give us a really good chance. And we tried to narrow that focus and make it be, you know, three or four outs instead of five or six. And I think that's really helped him.
3: Shifting over to talk about your lineup. You obviously said w- Will Wagner is unavailable on Wednesday afternoon and, uh, Will be out another week to 10 days um, but tell us about your lineup the guys that will be available on uh, Wednesday against the Pirates
0: yeah um, we've got some we've got some veteran players I mean our third baseman's a senior just hit a walk-off home run yesterday he's having a great year and you know Cam Locklear is a senior at shortstop we're having to play Trey McDyer thank goodness for Trey McDyer we're playing him at second base right now because of his versatility he can play you know first second third or either corner outfield spot so um, he He's been very steady for us um and and done a great job leading our team and hitting um our numbers aren't pretty right now, but uh we're finding ways to win with uh, with some of those guys It kind of seems to be a different guy you know every day that steps up with some big knocks for us um you know we've got some power in there um we've been able to hit some big home runs early in the year and you know hopefully we can you know continue to do some things we don't quite have the speed that I'd like um you know I like to be able to run a little bit and kind of put a little more pressure on you but Um, you know with will out that's been you know kind of one of those things that took another you know runner off the board for us so uh, we got to look for ways to move runners and we got to look for ways to be a little bit you know creative Um, I don't think we're going to sit there and bang it around the yard every day but um, you know the timely hits and and our pitching keeping us in the games has been kind of the formula up to this point.
3: Going into Tuesday's game uh, your ball club is seven and four I know you Started the year um, getting swept down at Clemson, but at least a couple of those games, uh, if not all three, were competitive. And then, um, and then since then, um, you, you uh, took two out of three from Seton Hall in week two, and then uh, you were able to sweep Marist this past weekend. And one of the things I noticed about that one was uh, you had a no hitter, but then in that no hitter, um, um, Marist still scored four runs, which and um, they were able to take advantage of some some walks. But um, just talk about talk about your results up to this point.
0: Well, we you know, we went down to Clemson and, and those are, you know, those are that's a really good pitching staff. Um, you know, they were they were outstanding. I thought, you know, for opening weekend, that's about as sharp and as crisp as a staff could look and that was good for us. Um, you know, it was good for us to say, okay, you know, we got we we, we got beat. Um, we got beat on 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 that side of the ball and and they did some really really good things you know that being said we had plenty of opportunities to score we left 17 on on friday night and we left 10 on 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 saturday in that one nothing game so those two games could have gone either way um and you know we've continued to you know put ourselves in some scoring opportunities we faced some really good arms um up to this point um just looking back at some of their you know analytics and their numbers um it's impressive and so i think that bodes really really well for us um, we we have four starters that I really like, you know, on the mound, and that's been, you know, like I said, our formula for for getting, you know, to the end of these games and and being comfortable in one-run close games with a little bit of pressure and and having the lead late. So, you know, we've been able to do that. We love playing in our own park, um, so we need to take kind of some of this mo and and take it on the road. Um, Wednesday will be a great great test for us. Um, to go on the road against a team like East Carolina, who's who's really good in their park, and and have a little hostility probably with the jungle and that fan base, and that's good for any team that um that wants to play in the postseason
3: because that's about as close of a look as you're going to get midweek to a postseason atmosphere. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, coach, last question for you. Um, you referenced the beautiful ballpark you have earlier on um, 2,500. Uh, chair back seats, and um, I have not been able to attend a game, but I have have seen it. And um, I know that allows you to bring in the likes. You've had Kentucky come in, and then also midweek games against the likes of Duke, Wake Forest, North Carolina. So um, just talk about your uh, non conference schedule this year. Who are some of the teams you have coming to Lynchburg?
0: Yeah, I mean, last, you know, this year was kind of a little bit different for us than last year. Last year we played 10 ACC games, we had five, five here and, and five on the road. So those. those coaches have been great um coming up here and and playing us um the 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 difference would be you know having to reset the schedule and redo some things when we switch to the Atlantic Sun. so we don't have as many this year but we do have Virginia Tech and you know we do have um you know good opponents coming in here during the middle of the week and some weekend sets that I really like you know the Seton Hall one was very competitive for us and uh, we've got Kent State coming in here this weekend which is a really really good team and you know looking down the road we've got it um you know in, in years ahead i know uh, clips coming up here in in 2022 for a weekend and you know we've got some good non conference opponents to to stack up we'll go back to um playing all 10 ACC midweek games again next year so it's been nice i think you know we've got replay here we've got a great uh five camera setup where um i think coaches like coming here because of that um we'll do a four man crew and just again, it's just uh, I think it's a great feel, it's a great atmosphere, it's a great place for our park or for our kids to play in a park. It's really fan friendly and it's a great environment. So we're we're blessed here to have that and certainly looking forward to playing as many as many times as we can each year here.
3: Coach, we certainly appreciate your time. We know it's a busy week for you, five five game week. Um so um Best of luck to you and, and the guys. And uh, safe travels as you head down to Greenville tomorrow morning. And um, we'd love to have you back on the show sometime. Uh, best of luck and a Sun play.
0: Thank you so much. I'd love to be on any time and, and really appreciate you guys having me. Take care.
1: Coach Jackson was fantastic. I enjoyed him uh, there, Bubba. You did an awesome job leading that interview. And good luck to the Pirates. Actually, tomorrow when the Pirates are taking on a Wednesday afternoon, that's going to be a, uh, what we call a, a, uh, gentleman's, what is it, the, uh, the matinee there. So that'll be at four o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon at Clark LeClaire Stadium. And I want to mention to you guys something that our good friend Stephen Igo from Boys to Colors put out. Very excited to see being a basketball fan. Uh, I make no secrets about that. Um, but the very fact of our recruiting and the spending, um, that's been done for the recruitment in 2019 was really awesome, Bubba. You had, I know you're the numbers guy. It was really, really impressive to see that we've made a commitment. You know, um, Kyle, you you were talking about Coach O on extra innings. By the way, folks, listen to extra innings. We uh, had a great guest, Dr. Gary Overton, one of the, the all-time winningest coaches at East Carolina, and i love for people to hear that. He was awesome, uh, but anyway, you brought that point up, Kyle, about the SEC. Not SEC. Listen to me, Big Ten. where they finally made a commitment to baseball. You look at the new stadiums there. I think you could make an argument with East Carolina. They finally made a commitment to basketball. Yeah. I think yeah. it's a payoff.
2: Well, my like bub also pointed out today. One of the reasons why we 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 spent so much on recruiting this year in basketball is because we signed eleven players. I mean, you're you're not going to do that ever again. God, I hope not. So. That, that, that's basically the equivalent of starting a program from scratch when you kick everybody off your team but one. So it stands to reason. I mean, when you first look at that, you go, Oh my God, East Carolina spent so much money on basketball recruiting. Who, who knew? But it stands to reason when you, when you think about it that, uh, we did spend so much. Typically you're going to sign what four or five guys, uh, maybe six and we signed 11. So. It stands the reason that we we did. Still, it was a little surprising to see the third most in the American Conference, considering.
1: Did more than North Carolina. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, they don't have to spend. They just people just. Yeah. People, you know, they just, well they they, they they never mind, but <laughs> <laughs> they probably need to spend some right now. But um, I. Uh,
1: yeah. They got the I, same I, amount of wins as we do. Exactly. But yes.
2: uh, it is it is. I, I do question with the athletic, with with the, with the budget problems we're having right now with athletics, uh, how we were able to do that. Um, but I guess it was kind of a have to when you, when you're having to sign eleven guys. We were
1: yeah. we yeah. a situation where we're to, yeah I was just going I'm sorry, but I was just going to say quickly that oh, we had we've just got a the thing about basketball is it's the sport that's keeping and if people want to be power five I mean I hate that term but let's say hypothetically. If you want to move to a big conference, and I think the American's great, so don't misunderstand me. But the people that are dying to move to a Power Five and all that to keep the sport that's keeping us from being a quote unquote Power Five league um, in a Power Five league is basketball. We're yeah, um,
2: football right now.
1: <laughs> well, I think football is uh, football. We're going to be fine. Baseball going to be fine. If you look at all the other leagues. we league are history, close. I, I, Just, I, historically.
2: Yeah, historically. Right. But I, I, I could be wrong. Um and I hope I am because I hope we uh get to a bowl this year. Uh but I I think we're closer to making the postseason in basketball than uh, we are football. Uh, I agree by, well, by by one year. I mean, because I, I did think this coming year we would uh we would be back in bowl contention, but we've had so much attrition this off season. I, yeah. I think
3: we're, I I think think we're, we're on gonna a, be another I think...
2: year away. Um Actually, I don't it, think
3: it's just the trenches.
2: Yeah, the trenches
3: exactly. Yeah.
2: Now, if we get some great influx of grad transfers, and you you have you have a situation like what happened out of Southern Miss and in, uh, in 2015, where every one of those grad transfers to JUCO players they signed during the summer hit, and they don't have any problems with them, and they and, you know they ended up winning their divisional conference USA that that year. So maybe we're we. Get that lucky too, but uh, I doubt it. <laughs> so uh, I think we're going to be another year away in football. Uh, who knows? You never know, though. That's why that's why you play the games.
3: No, uh, I, I would certainly agree, Kyle. I mean, just taking a look at it. I mean, obviously, I hope I'm wrong. That goes without saying. But if if you ask me right now, if if football or men's basketball in in 2020 or 2020 2021 would make would make a um, bowl game or make any type of postseason, be it, be it the NIT, CBI. Uh, I would, I would, uh, I, I, I truly believe I'd go with basketball just because they return so much. And then I don't think we'll stumble out of conference the way we did this year. No, now the following
2: season, 21 in football, I fully want us to go to a bowl. And uh I, I do expect us, even with the trench problems we have with the attrition on the line and D line, I still expect to see an improved product going into the year two on the field. I mean, it, we're we're going to have to, guys. The schedule is so much tougher. If we don't, we could go backwards in terms of wins and losses. So we're we're going to have to. Uh, you know, I, I hope we don't go four and eight again. But honestly, four and eight this year. Is a whole different ball of wax than four eight last year.
3: Absolutely, and and that's the thing. Yeah. I I in no way, shape, or form. Or I'm I'm really excited about Coach Houston and this staff. I mean that. Uh, what I said as far as basketball finishing uh, in the postseason and football potentially not. I mean that that's certainly uh, that's certainly just based on um, just the facts at hand. It, it has nothing to do with with this. Coaching staff in this regime, uh, I really no. think I really think they're going to get it done. I do too. Just need time. <laughs> yep. Yeah,
1: that. You know, one of the things that I've been impressed with, him, Coach Houston, is the very fact that uh, he made those changes here in the offseason season with defense. I'm very excited about that. I, I think the. Um, you. We were talking about recruiting for for basketball, Coach Dooley. What he had did, what he had to do to. I think we're further along. If we, he tried to keep the guys he had, I think that it was uh, – we need to get T.J. Long, our good friend, back on the podcast. Yeah,
2: he took a step back in, in terms of developing the talent that was here. It might be we won on two or three games more than we did this year, but what what he did this year by bringing in 11 new players, he, led the, he laid the foundation to get right. us ready for next year where we feel as long as we can keep these guys on the team and bring in another scorer – Uh, I'd be surprised if we didn't make some kind of postseason play last
1: year. I think right now, just projecting where we are, and it's hard to say. I mean, obviously a lot of things can happen. Like I wouldn't have expected in football what's happened here in early in uh, 2020 and late in 2019. But anyway, I think next year for basketball, we have, like you said, Kyle, a postseason tournament, and maybe even – a bubble nit team, like maybe barely making it in, um, is is the ceiling for the team. But hey, we'll take a, we'll take CBI right now.
2: Yeah, CBI nit either one would be fun. But you uh, you guys want to go to our next uh, our next guest?
1: Absolutely, Kyle. I'll let you introduce. Uh, you did a great job as always with getting your guest.
2: Yeah. Uh, next up here on the podcast, we are going to talk to the Enforcer, C.W. Anderson.
1: One of the things that Kyle and I have in common, besides loving East Carolina uh, football, basketball, baseball, East Carolina, period, is we love pro wrestling. And Kyle, I tell you what, right now I'm getting ready to drop you, to drop kick you off the top rope.
2: You going to hit me with the missile drop kick off the top rope, Dave? Well, uh, yeah. don't worry, because my boy, the enforcer, C.W. Anderson, has got my back. Welcome to the show, C.W.
4: And thank you so much for having me, guys. It was a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: One of the things that we've been doing the show seat up now two years, uh, and Bubba here, uh, we've we got to find a way. Maybe we can all come to a match. we got to come to a match of yours, and we'll do that very soon. And we got to bring Bubba along, and I'll bring my son Alexander and my daughter Mackenzie, and he can bring his kids. But Bubba's you not miss- a wrestling fan, so we got to work you, on him about that. You. you missed
4: a classic this last weekend in AML. The promotion I where I just won the belt, it was a fantastic show, and it was something that would have got you hooked as a wrestling fan. Actually, one guy had been to our this was his first show, and he said, "I am a lifelong fan now, just from this one show."
2: Yeah, we'll wow. we're backwards, CW. We'll start with that. Sure, uh, no worries. Brand new, brand new AML champion, uh, CW Anderson, uh, would beat uh, George South. Uh, y- y- any guys that grew up watching Jim Crockett? Oh man, in Atlantic NWA remember George South. That's right. Oh, yeah, George South, still wrestling today. Uh, c beat him in a... It was an I-Quit match, wasn't it, C W. Yeah,
4: Yeah, it was an I-Quit match, the one that Kelly Blanchard and uh, um, Magnum TA put on the map, and then I made infamous at ECW, and uh, George and I had a brutal brutal i quit match and was, you know the past year george and i have been feuding back and forth um i took the title from him in july broke my rib on a spine buster doing that and then he took it back from me at wrestlecade um wrestled him in, in a six man in a cage in january for aml and tore my hamstring fighting oh, him. and then we had the i quit match this past weekend the kind of mm-hmm. end all it was the end all and then we had my friend uh, former ECW World Heavyweight champ, former NWA World Heavyweight champ, Shane Douglas, as our referee.
1: So I've got a question oh. for you, C-Dub. Is that, is that really where he's going to be quitting, or is that like Kiss, where they've been on, they've been no, on no, a... No, no, it's not no, no, a,
2: no, a loserly town match. Though.
4: No, it's not one of those. It's a mission It's, not one of those.
2: it's a mission yeah. You have to say, I quit.
4: Yeah, once you say I quit, that's how you lose the match. You know, one of the, one of the best stories I heard, you said these loser leaves town, the guys, the Dups, who from around the Raleigh area, uh, they wrestled with me at ECW for a little bit, and they had a thing where they would lose a loser-leave town match but always show up at the next town. They were like, hell, well, we lost in that town. We're going to the next town. <laughs>
2: that's great. <laughs> it actually makes logical sense when you call it a loser-leaves town match. Yes. Um, so, you know, that that term... Goes back to the territory days, and it yep. just doesn't uh, hold up now. Um, so, w- with the uh, with the with the feud with George South, and, and it culminating in the I quit match in AML. How, how long did the match go? Did you? Did y'all go, uh, Did you do a Broadway? Yeah, you did do a Broadway. How long? Did no, it go? was
4: fifteen or twenty minutes, maybe. I lost. I lost count. Um, after the first time George hit me with the kendo stick, and I looked at Shane Douglas like, "Can I quit now?" Because I. Have, George beat me so bad. Uh, the match is going to be on High Spots Network and the AML Network coming out with a kendo stick, and then he took a belt off a referee, and he hit me so hard with that belt Sunday when I came home. I apologized to my mom and dad for stuff I did when I was 8-year-olds because I said Jesus sent George South to whoop my ass for stuff I did when I was 8. <laughs> yeah, so, so
2: you, you mentioned to us, if, well, first before we get to that, you, you said Shane Douglas a special referee, and I've yes. seen Shane – you know, I haven't got out to as many indie shows here lately, but I know Shane's been working a lot of indie shows in mm-hmm. North Carolina recently. Where's he living now?
4: He still lives in Pittsburgh. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't changed from that. And he comes in, uh, the guy that's his age, his name's Chris, who lives in West Virginia. He'll come into West Virginia for Chris a lot. Actually, he had a seminar Sunday after leaving AML. Um, but he, he Shane comes around a lot, you know. He, he's worked in Clayton a few times. uh He works around everywhere, and I've wrestled Shane numerous, numerous times, and it's always a pleasure to have him on the show and then definitely share the ring with him.
2: Did yeah, y'all ever laugh in ECW at all? I know he he left for WCW. It seems like about the time you were coming into
4: ECW. He was gone right when I got right after. Excuse me, right when I got there because I got there June sixth of nineteen ninety nine. And the first ones to leave were Taz. Taz left, or the Dudleys left first. One of the two left because they left about the same time and uh, around the fall of '99. Yeah, um, that would
2: have been uh, the Dudleys left because they left right around the time of the TNN debut because they dropped the mm-hmm. tag titles to Dreamer and Raven, and that was in late August, early September. Yep.
4: I actually and, did uh, a run in a run in on that match or something, to where Bubba kicked me in the face. Um, yeah, that's when, a few people when, did.
2: I'm trying, yeah, it was, was that that.
4: it was at Elks yep. Lodge. It was an Elks Lodge in in Queens, New York.
2: Yeah, I, I remember that now. A few people did the run-ins, and you know, nobody was going to end up winning the tag title of Dreamer, and then they bring Raven mm-hmm. out, and the enemies are now partners. those that that's, that's right. Yep. I don't, you say that? I, I, remember, I remember.
4: If I'm not mistaken, I had a blue uh, UNC shirt on, Carolina shirt.
2: Oh or, no, we else. won't hold that against you, C Dub. We won't <laughs> hold that against
4: you, <laughs> especially this year, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well that's all right. Yeah, we'll, we don't mind seeing one, we'll be a yeah. but, uh, and Speaking of being pirates, like I said, we'll work backwards. Now we're gonna if you talk about it well, well before we before we get back to your early life, uh, we'll finish talking about AML. Talk about AML. I, I I see them on Facebook a lot. They seem to be the hottest promotion in North Carolina.
4: Absolutely. Without a doubt. We've we've had two sellout shows. You know, this past Saturday they were getting chairs out of our locker room. I think the only person that had a chair was myself. They said we're gonna leave a chair for George South and CW, Everybody else, give up your chairs. Every chair in there, and then there was people standing against the wall. It wow. was a sellout. And then last month at the fairgrounds in Winston-Salem, it was another sellout. And uh, if you're not really familiar with the people that or the guys Tracy Myers and Brian Hawks who run uh, AML, they're the ones that also put on Russell Cade the Thanksgiving weekend extravaganza. Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, AML has been around five years now, and you know it's had everybody. From the Hardy, from you know Matt Hardy to Caprice Coleman to Cedric Alexander to Zinjrac. I mean, it's had so many guys there. Uh, Jinder Mahal has been there. That it's almost like Brian Hawks has this this niche of grabbing guys right before they go back to WWE. Yeah. Um, what's the guy that just run won the Royal or Royal Rumble? Uh, his name's slipping my mind right now. Uh, uh,
2: the the the, uh, the the English fellow. Uh, yes. Uh,
4: holy crap. Uh, yeah, I can't
2: think of his name either.
4: I can't either. But we it, we
2: know who we're talking about. Yes, yeah,
4: right so we know the a big, tall guy with black hair. Yeah. Um. He he was there last year or year before that with with us at AML. But AML man, they put on great shows. There's a lot of old school. There's new school they pretty much combine everything you get in one show whatever if you're an old school fan if you're new school if you like the stuff you see at AEW if you like to see the guys that are just flipping and jumping they have all that they have it all in one show so you come you get your feel what you like and you go home happy and it's how, all PG
2: how far east do they run i know i know it's mostly in the triad once to celebrate pro do they do they go east of that at all towards Raleigh? Not not?
4: not yet. That not yet. They may be talks to that in the future, but as of right now, Greensboro is as far east as we've come. Uh this past weekend was Moxville, like like before, it's Winston Salem. Um you know, next week next month, Winston Salem with Barry Wyndham, uh Reba Reba uh Ruby Hardy and her dad, um myself, uh so yeah, the next month is like next month's our big show.
2: Okay. Uh, that will be a lot of fun to to see uh Reby. I, I guess mm-hmm. former Rebbe Sky, now Rebbe Hardy and uh Yes. Who else did you say was gonna be there?
4: Matt, uh, uh, Barry Wyndham.
2: Oh Barry Wyndham, yes. Yeah. Right. And and,
4: and uh and, and Rebbe's dad, Senior Benjamin.
2: Yeah, from uh from the uh the, the stuff with Matt and Jeff, the uh yes. stuff. Um so you mentioned Barry Wyndham and again we're all over the place but that makes me think of uh the the, the extreme wars but can you talk about the lineage of that That. Did that start in the, the first time MLW was around or did that start in Dusty's promotion?
4: That's actually started in Dusty's promotion. Steve and I had an idea along with Simon Diamond to become a unit when we were at E C W and it just never come to fruition. Um and one day we're at Dusty's promotion and Dusty's had T C W and you know Dusty had his son Dustin, he had Manny Fernandez, Barry Windham, uh Lodi was there, so many veterans um for that promotion and, and Steve Carino as well. And one day, Dusty sets myself, Steve, and Barry Windham down and has an idea of putting us as a group. He goes, Barry, he says, here's my idea. He says, um, Barry, you came from the Full Horseman. Steve, you and CW came from the extreme of ECW. He said, I'm thinking about calling you guys the Extreme Horseman. And um, we we absolutely loved it. So the first night we did we did it that night. I forgot what town we were in in Georgia, but it was so old school that people still believed it. We had – we Steve and I wrestled Dustin and Dusty, had Dustin handcuffed, was pummeling Dusty. People were hitting the ring. I remember kicking this older lady in the face to get her out of the ring because they were attacking us. Barry Windham makes the save, clears Steve and I out. He has a chair. It, you know He's helping Dusty up, big baby face Barry Windham, and he waffles Dusty with a chair. You could have it, that air got sucked out of that place, and they had to escort us back after that.
2: That's great. It's, it's hard to get even in the early two thousands, which is the time you're talking about. It was hard to get that kind of heat and, and that kind oh, of reaction. Amazing. Now like, possible. Um, and oh
4: yeah, because fans are fans are too much in on it now, and I uh, think they're part of the shows. And um, and then when the MLW came came about, Steve and Simon and I pitched the idea to Court Bauer about being the top. Heels there. Court wanted Steve anyway, and myself and Simon. So we threw the the Extreme Horseman idea because we invited. We had Simon along with it, um, and he had Dusty there. He had Terry Funk, and we were feuding with him. Uh, Simon and I were the tag champs. Steve was the heavy champ. You know, he was fight Mark Awesome. He fought Barry Windham. I mean, not Barry. Windham. He fought Terry Funk in some classic barbed wire matches, um, and Dusty. So you know, the M O W was a hybrid because they had Japan wrestling, Lucha wrestling. They had everything back then in the early 2000s.
2: Yeah, I actually like the MLW format then better than the MLW format now, but it just at that time, I guess cable companies were burnt out on wrestling and uh, mm-hmm. didn't get the opportunity that he's had this time around. On uh, Granted, it's BN Sports, and BN Sports is a TNT, but it's still national cable exposure that uh, he has now that he didn't have then. Right. Um. So... Let's talk about your early life. Uh, you know, we're we, we do a lot of different stuff on this podcast, but primarily we are East Carolina-based podcasts. We are associated with ECU Media. So, talk about uh, tell everybody where you grew up and, and about how uh, wrestling is not your first love.
4: <laughs> yeah, I used to hate wrestling. Um, I grew up <clears throat> east of Raleigh in a community called Emet, North Carolina. It's basically time spelled backwards, and it's just a crossroads. I lived on a dirt road and i actually am still on the road uh it's paved now but we were my family was the only white family of 13 houses on this road um one of my my best friend till today you know i got two basically steve carino and my other my best friend now maurice watson this six four, three 350 pound black guy that i've known since i was four years old we've been close since i was four um we hung out together grew up on this road and it's in, you know, Johnston County. I grew, went to North Johnston High School. Uh, I was a kind of a baseball prodigy. I was scouted. Um, I actually had East Carolina come and look at me, UNC, Miami. Uh, I ended up getting drafted out of 1989 by the San Diego Padres because as a catcher, I could, uh, from my knees throw it at 90 miles an hour to second base um i could stand at home plate throw it over the left field fence on a line no arc i had a freaking cannon and ended up at 18 years old being not going anywhere my mom basically talked me out of signing going pro she told me to go to college the pros will always be there when hindsight i should have kicked myself in the ass because college could always been there blew my arm out in college um come back and kind of that's when the wrestling thing took off but the backtrack when i was Growing up around this area, NWA was the hotbed, and you know we all we didn't have cable uh, until I was like twenty something years old. So NWA come on local channels, and you know they ran Dorton Arena in Raleigh, so we'd go see that when we did. But I hated wrestling, despite that. Didn't want to watch it. My little brother Kevin loved it, and one night I think it was around July in 1984, he told me uh, I wanted to watch. Saturday night live, or the cartoons, or whatever it was that was going on at the time, and he said, he said, sit down with me and watch this one match, please. He said, and if you don't like it, and then you don't never, I will never ask you again. But he said, he, you know, I was the big brother that he wanted to hang around. So he said, sit down and watch it with me. So I sit down. The match was uh, Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev. They were the NWA World Tag Team Champions, and they fought the Rock and Roll Express, who so had just come in. And that was the day the uh, Rock and Roll Express took the belts off of them. And I remember when Ricky Morton victory rolled. Uncle Ivan and beat him, that we were jumping around like, you know, literally like kids because the Americans had just defeated the Russians and we were going crazy. And from that moment on, I was hooked. Uh, when I was 16, 17 years old, a friend of mine, there was a guy living across the street from him that was doing independent wrestling at the time, and he was training, working with the kids my age. So I went over and started messing around with them for about six months just getting in the ring, doing stuff I saw on TV. And once my baseball coach found out about that, I was a sophomore in high school, he put a kibosh on that and said, you have too much of a gift to be going out there and getting hurt wrestling. So it wasn't until when I got out of high school, got through with my baseball career, blew my arm out uh, trying to show off, that I got a regular job and saw one of the guys that I was wrestling with when I was 16, 17 at McDonald's one day asked him what he was doing now and he's you know told me his job he says on the weekend I'm still wrestling. I'm like what, like in the backyard like we did at Chris's house? He's like, No man, he said we wrestling armories, high schools and stuff like that now. He said, We got a show in Zebelin this weekend. Won't you come hang out and we'll get in the ring and, you know, see if you still got a love for it. So I did. Got there early, kinda rolled around with him and caught that bug again and just took off from there. I never really got trained until I got to the power plant in ninety eight. Um but just kind of did what I knew from there.
2: So okay. you, you you started off wrestling, um, I guess, early '90s in the Indies, like 1993. Said,
4: but, 93,
2: but you weren't trained per se.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so how, how did that go without being without going to a proper wrestling school or or uh, <laughs> you know having somebody training? How, how did was it more on the job training? Did you just pick stuff up from from your friend who was a wrestler or, or what?
4: Um, the very, fr- I went, there was a wrestling school in Smithfield. The guy that was there wasn't, he was just an indie wrestler. So, you know, he, w- he'd never been anywhere and done anything. There's a lot of wrestling schools that are like that nowadays. Guys that's never been anywhere, never done anything. Think they can run a damn wrestling school. And but, as a matter of fact, I was one of them at the time in like the mid nineties. Um, got thrown into training people and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, but you don't know that at the time. You think you know what you're doing. You think you know everything. And I was a twenty five year old that thought he knew everything at the time. But it was a lot of on the job training. My first match was December fourth of ninety three. Um in Smithfield. They put me under a hood just kind of get my feet wet and then the guy saw me wrestle and he was actually running the Anderson gimmick and talked to the owner about sitting down and wanting to make me an Anderson because the guy he was tagging with was older than him and Pat was at the time was in his mid to late thirties and wanted a younger tag partner to kind of run the roads with to basically do all the bumping and stuff like that. So he sat down with me and asked me, did I have any interest in becoming an Anderson? Because I had to look. I had a goatee at the time. I looked more like Big Boss Man than I did, you know, Arn Anderson. And um, he had gotten him and Rocky, who was the other guy, Rocky Mills, uh, had gotten the Anderson name from Gene, who's the the only real Anderson, um, to use it, not to job it out, not to disrespect it, nothing along those lines. You had to be a traditional Anderson and they want they use it as they saw fit and they wanted to make me the next anderson so pat sat me down and said hey do you want to be one i was like yeah sure because i didn't know what the world i was going to do wrestling wise uh what what gimmick i was going to use he said we'll just come up with a three-letter name that you know kind of fit because it was Ole, it was Arn, and then there was pat so for two weeks i come up with ike and cal and i really couldn't come up with anything that made sense i mean they're stupid names but that's all i could come up with so one day I'm at this little TV interview, and my old baseball coach, who was a manager, his name was Randy Driver, um, I said, Mr. Randy, I don't really have a name to become this Anderson because I was debuting. He said, I oh, would just use your initials and call you CW. And it just stuck from there. So
2: w- at what point did you uh pick up the Anderson Spine Buster? Because, I mean, you do that Spine Buster as well as Arn. I mean, so at what, what point did you start using that?
4: When I became an Anderson, that was one of the moves I incorporated. I was, you know, at the time, I was such a mark for Bobby Eaton. I was doing a lot of the Bobby Eaton spots. Leg drop off the top, swinging neck breaker, the snapping left punch like Bobby's. I didn't really do much of the Anderson stuff until I became do that an Anderson.
2: Much,
4: but yeah, it used to, I used to snap it and hit my left hand. And I yeah. think I was watching Scott Hall or The Rock throw their punch. And then when I started throwing my punch like that, and then once I got to the power plant and Sarge started watching me on video, as far as my punch goes, stars goes, C W, he said, By far you have the best punch in wrestling. He said, Why are you throwing as much as you do? He said, Don't waste it. He said, That thing should be a one punch knockout. So that's why, you know, from that point on I stopped punching. I would punch one time and it was always a knockout, almost like a finisher, and then the spine buster got to where I got so comfortable with it and I don't know if it was at ECW or what that I've started noticing that I was I could always bounce back up to my feet or I could always snap get a snap off of it, unlike Arn did. Um I remember I was spine busting balls Mahoney one night in Buffalo and stood back up to my feet in, in a three sixty fashion, spun all the way around and now when I do it it's I got I get such a snap off of it uh from from doing the spine buster and that's one of the things that actually pisses me off in this business is all these other guys get credit for having a great spine buster and when it's actually shown, it's either me or Arn that has the best in wrestling. I think right. I, I always always say Arn invented it and I perfected it. But you know, I always I'm gonna give homage to Arn and say he's got the best, but I'm I'm on his heels for the for the second best in the in the, forever.
2: That's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And you're just thinking about your work, uh seems it's it, it, the the, the it seem like you used the super kick or sabot kick, I don't know what you want to call super, it. A lot, super kick, yep. Yeah, that, that was another one you, you you execute that really well. Talk about um, if you will you're, you mentioned training in the power plant. Um, I, what were your prospects of getting a contract with WCW and how, how did you end up with ECW? It seems like I remember the story and I'll let you tell it but you <laughs> and uh, I think Toad uh, had a or Toad had a trial down in Georgia and you, mm-hmm. took, you, you, you took a spot See,
4: <laughs> I know. I still feel bad about it and uh, the story, it, it's not really this kind of lengthy, not really lengthy but um there was really no prospect of me getting signed at, at WCW. Uh, the whole thing with with Joyce Joyce style saying that I turned down a six figure contract. well in some instances I could say I could turn down a six figure contract because there would have been a chance later down the road at the power plant of getting signed because all the students there had six figure contracts except myself and Toad. So one day at the power plant, J J Dillon and Paul Orndorff came to the power plant to see what because they were agents at the um, at WCW and they wanted to come to the power plant and see what kind of students they had because they had no idea. There was thirty of us there. You had Mark Jindrak, you had the Natural Born Thrillers, Elix Skipper, Lash LaRue, Mike Sanders, uh Johnny Swinger, Toad and myself, um anyway they paired us up. All of us got paired up to run a match for JJ Dillon and Paul Orndorff, Sarge, Buddy Lee Parker, Mike Winter, and Brad Armstrong was there. And uh somehow Toad and I were the last ones to go. And Toad and I His name's Curtis White. He lives out in Nag's Head now. He used to own the barbershop over at the Fairgrounds in Raleigh. Whoever's listening knows what I'm talking about. But, um, he did a little bit of stuff at the end of WCW with PG-13. They called him Frog. So Toad and I were traveling the roads, wrestling each other pretty much every weekend. And we'd always come in and video, we'd video our matches and show them the Sarge and he would critique them. So we got put together in this tryout and had a match where the boys were just coming unglued popping. We were doing some straight ECW stuff because when we got finished, that's what Brad Armstrong said. He said, Man, that's some stuff out of ECW. He said that stuff was fantastic. Now at the time I was two sixty, not really not in shape. I was in ring shape, but I wasn't in body shape. J.J. Dillon and Paul Ondorf came up to me and, you know, they kind of they liked the match and they said well, WCW is more of a cosmetic company than a wrestling company and I didn't really have a look. And I didn't really think I would be a fit for WCW and would ever make a dime in this business. Uh, but, you know, you can stay here as long as you want at the power plant because you've paid your money. Which is crushing to a 27-year-old that's trying to make it in his business. And your lifelong dream, or not lifelong, but your dream once you got into business was to be a professional wrestler and be on TV. Yeah. So once that happened, uh, a few weeks later, Toad and I had a match with PG on uh, um, Public Enemy in South Carolina. The next day, Toad had a tryout in Georgia, Uh, and Toad's tag partner on the Indies was Lodi, who was Raven's sign guy. So through Lodi, through Raven, being best friends with Tommy Dreamer, got Toad a tryout. And he was going down for the tryout in Georgia, and I I didn't want to go. I had just gotten a new girlfriend at the time. I wanted to hang out with her. He's like, CW, he said, come on down. You know Steve Carino. You guys have been friends. You can see him. You can politic. Get your name out there whatever i'm a very shy person i'm an introvert and i don't like a lot of people i don't like crowds especially people i don't know i'm really uncomfortable um so he he literally drugged me down to his tryout after the match with pg-13 toad got in there with angel from the baldies did a little five minute match and nova was watching or you know he was running the tryouts he got toad got done with his and it wasn't that great you know toad was you could tell he was nervous Nova looks out at me, and he says, uh, Chris, do you have your gear? I went, well, yeah, it's out in the car. He said, well, run and get it, man. Throw your stuff on and see what you can do. I get my gear, get it on, get in the ring, and he puts me in there with Simon Diamond, who was Lance Diamond at the time. And Simon and I knew each other from the North Carolina Indies, so I did a little five-minute match with him, got out. Simon and Nova liked my stuff. He said, you got some great timing, good footwork. Uh About that time, I hear somebody from sitting in the uh, seats, Yells to Bill Alfonso and tell Fonzie, hey, Fonzie, tell that ball guy to get back in the ring. So Fonzie comes up to me and says, Daddy, Paul wants you back in the ring. I look out in there, and it's Paul Heyman sitting with Taz and the Dudleys. So I get back in, and they start feeding guys to me and working matches. For like the next hour, I was bumping back and forth, working matches for them. Uh doing as hard as I could go, man, hitting turnbuckles hard, bumping hard, trying to show out. The doors are getting ready to open. Everybody files out. Everybody goes in the back and starts getting changed. I'm in the bathroom kind of by myself. I'm spitting up blood. I'm sweaty. Uh, I'm getting cleaned up. The door opens, and I look, and it's Paul Heyman. Paul walks right up to me, sticks his hand out, and says, hey, I'm Paul Heyman. It is nice to meet you. I said, hey, Paul, my name's Chris Wright. It's an honor to meet you, sir. He said, "Uh, Chris, where are you wrestling at now? I said, well, mostly in independence in North Carolina South Carolina things like that I said I'm, I'm a student at the power plant though he says you're on contract there I said no sir I said just recently they told me I didn't have what it takes to, to be at WCW um, so I'm just kind of floundering right now he said well what's your wrestling name I said CW Anderson he goes I knew it he says you look like Arn. you have the left left punch like Orn, the spine buster like Orn." he kind of puts his finger over his mouth and goes Chris don't leave before I speak to you okay I said, yes, sir. He says, you're welcome to stay back here and hang out in the back. He says, but do not leave before I talk to you. So I'm <clears throat> back talking to Steve, telling him that Paul had talked to me, and Jim Molyneux, the referee, comes up to me about 15 minutes later and says, C.W.? I said, yes, sir. He said, Paul wants to see you back here. So I walk to the back um with Jim Molyneux, and he we go in the locker room. Paul is sitting there with Vito was who is Skull Von Crush. Danny Dorn and Roadkill, he introduces them to me. He says you're tagging with Vito. Your third match. Welcome to ECW. That's all I got my job.
2: That's that's uh, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, go. Not even expecting really to try out, then end up with a job with with ECW, who mm-hmm. you know was about to debut on TNN at that time. The third biggest company in America back back when God damn body you know when they debuted on TNN, they they were they were getting ratings that. AEW or WWE would kill, even WWE would kill for now. That's how many people were watching wrestling back then.
4: Yeah. So, right.
2: so you're kind of thrown in the fire of ECW. And uh, I remember originally you were part of the new Dangerous Alliance with, uh, oh, God, Bill. Um,
4: Bill Wiles you know, and Luigi. Yeah, yeah, Bill so, Wiles and. Yeah, yep.
2: Electra, Electra was also involved. And uh, Yeah, she
4: came come a little bit later.
2: And uh, so, you, so you, you have that run as part of the Dangerous Alliance, and yeah. then. And then, uh, what, what was your first feud? Did, Didn't you do something with, um, it seems like after the, uh, what was after the Danger Slots?
4: Um, I slowly started getting broke away because I think one of my first singles matches, one night we're in New Orleans <clears throat> and Sabu doesn't have anything to do. And he looks at Bill Wiles and goes, Bill, you want to wrestle me? Bill Wiles, Bill goes, hell yeah, I want to wrestle you. Uh, Sabu goes, hold on, because Bill and Sabu are really tight. Bill goes. I mean, Sabu goes talk to Paul. Sabu comes back and goes, "CW, it's me and you." I went, "Shit!" <laughs> I was scared because you know you've seen Sabu on TV, like him and New Jack and everybody are like killing people. So I'm shaking. I go out there and I have a killer match with Sabu. I mean, we it was amazing. Oh, he took great care of me, Sabu. I, once once we started working, it was like holy shit! I can't believe this is going on. Sabu, I mean, he's taking great care of me. Anyway after that i started slowly breaking away and then i started um i had a war with uh, really a war with super crazy the first one was in tallahassee where he almost impaled himself on an upside down table uh then we had a, a one at the ecw arena where i got a standing ovation they were chanting cf and dub and then we capped it off in um cincinnati ohio where <clears throat> um he qualified for the tv title or something and my, I remember that match because my face, I got a picture of it, is a spiderweb of blood. The blood looks like a spiderweb. Um, and right after that, Paul started breaking me away. And then I, at the ECW Arena, I did a run-in on Simon and Swinger, <clears throat> beat up their faction, challenged anybody in the back. Danny and Roqueel came out, and that was the night that my stuff with Bobby Eaton was supposed to start. Um, so it, it was it was... Crazy, and then that's when the stuff with uh, Simon and Swinger started.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking of the stuff with Simon and Swinger. And, of course, Mm -hmm. then to fast forward a little bit, I don't want to take up all your time. um, No, you're fine. uh, What everybody that, that was watching ECW at the time remembers and what you're infamous for, is your feud with Dreamer towards the end of ECW in the I Quit match, which a lot of people put up there with the uh, with the Tully Blanchard Magnum TA I Quit match?
4: Yeah, that's that's humbling to hear that from a lot of people.
2: So talk about that match, uh, you know, the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York, uh, the match with Dreamer. And, you know, you, I, you you guys you guys have worked rematches of that several times. I actually saw you and Tommy. Uh, and and a rematch of that I Quit match in Moorhead City at an end yeah. show. Uh, yeah, and, we
3: did a little uh, one like that. And we think, did. <laughs>
2: uh, I think I might have been one of the handful of people there. I could not believe how crappy that crowd was that night. That was yeah. a hard. Yeah, but, it was uh, it was
4: very bad. Yeah, we did one. We did one in Virginia, and then we had a big one at Russell Cage. Um <clears throat> Tommy's idea, you know, Tommy was a big proponent of my, me and ECW as far as being in the dangerous alliance. That was his thing. Getting the enforcer name. Uh, my very first match on pay per view, it was a dark match, but it was in Chicago. Tommy grabbed me before I walked out. He said, I want you to go out there and tear the house down. He said, Try to steal the show. He said, I the want you to. Roll take- 99. Yes. Yep. He goes, I want you to take this match and shove it up the ass of people at WCW that says you were no good. He said, <laughs> he says you got this job because you're a hell of a talent, not because you're my friend. So through all that, uh one match I did Kid Cash November to remember after the match, Tommy congratulates me, he says, CW, that was a hell of a match. I can't wait to put you over on pay-per-view. We have started our feud. We do the massacre on 34th Street where he put me over where I spine busted him through a upside down table with the legs up. And it was his idea for an I quit match. The whole time building up to that, Jerry Lynn, just incredible, those guys who I love to death said CW an I quit match is so hard, man. We don't know if, you know, guys can pull it off because there hasn't been a good one since the Magnum and Tully. So it was a driving force for me to do have a good one. And the finish of the match was supposed to be barbed wire across my eyes. Well, on the way up there that day, was <clears throat> well, side note, that the, it was January 7th, 2001, which was my 30th birthday. I'm later going to be having the match that defined me on my 30th birthday. And... um so I'm riding up there and I'm all excited. It's my birthday. Tommy calls me. He says, I just want to let you know the finish is out. I said, w- w- what do you mean? He says, there's no barbed wire on this controller. On this, <laughs> what? He said, some dumbass took the barbed wire out. He said, you can't go to hardware stores and stuff in Manhattan aren't open. Um, we can't find barbed wire. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. Um, apologize. He's, I so said, when I get there, Myself, Louis Danielsley, and Chili Willie, who was one of my students who was with me at ECW, start walking around downtown Manhattan trying to find barbed wire. We didn't even hang out that day. We were walking around trying to find barbed wire. And us three goofs looking for that. So we actually found some on somebody's garage fence door, so some fence door. We found barbed wire. So we haul ass back to the show. The Son, show did, did, start,
2: you, did you buy it or did you steal it?
4: Well, it ain't stolen unless you get caught, but I'm going to get to that. Um, so <laughs> we get uh No, we didn't buy it at all. So we get back there. We tell one of the ring crew guys. His, he was the wrestling name. He wrestled on the Musketeer because they were letting people in already, and Tommy and I hadn't gone over the match or nothing. So we say, look, go down to this street, take a left, the next block over, there's the barbed wire, find it. It's simple. It's a straight freaking shot except for one left. Okay, C.W., we got it. Tommy and I are going over the match. Like 30 minutes later, Musketeer to- comes back with a trash bag. She never got your barbed wire. Great, thank you. We open it up. Freaking razor wire. I said, oh, no, ass, that's razor wire. That's not barbed wire. And it's all bent and rusty. I said, Tommy, you're not putting that across my damn eyes, bro. I'm just sorry as I can be. So he says, we'll straighten it out, and you can spinebuster on, me on it. He goes, "Um, and we'll do, still do the finish, which is off the, the – they off the DVD off or the uh, Spicoli driver through the table and I hope the table breaks enough that I can just take the strap and wrap it around your eyes and make you say I quit. I said, "All right." Now he told me before going out there, he said there's a lot of pressure on us for this match. He said if we have a good match, I'm going to shake your hand because I got plans for you in the future. He said if we don't have a good one, yeah, well, you know, whatever. That's just Tommy's mentality. So another driving force for me was I wanted to give them a good match. Um we get done with the match. There's three thousand people at the Hammerstein ballroom, and they're freaking going crazy. We stand up, we shake we shake hands. He goes to the back and if you ever can watch it on video when they're doing the replay, if you listen to the background noise, not the, the actual replay, you can hear the three thousand people in the uh Hammerstein ballroom chanting c f and dub. They're standing up chanting my name and giving me a standing ovation for that match i
2: yeah. He
4: was one of. Go ahead. I was saying I, the emotion over me. I'm sitting there trying to sell, but on the inside, I I'm literally looking around like I can't believe this is happening. I walk to the back. I go through the curtain. Balls Mahoney's the first person to greet me, and he's clapping. He says, "See, that's one of the best effing matches I've ever seen." He hugs me, gives me a kiss on the cheek. He said, "Congratulations." He said, "You've just cemented yourself at ECW." And I walk, in, everybody's and everybody's high fiving and. Congratulate I me, mean, Tommy. Tommy still says that's one of his favorite matches.
2: It's a great example for guys. Anybody in the Indies, or for that matter, working for WWE or AEW or any anybody to to watch a match and want to know how you can get over in a loss, how you can be the guy you know that, that loses the match and and still you know you, you're, you're 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 you were made. I mean, people, you, you were already a star in ECW, but essentially. You, that
4: match made you, and you lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. Tommy's idea was um, they were going to turn me face because I had been getting so over with my work. Um, one of the things, one of the guys wrote a piece on me and says you can't spell ECW without CW. And the whole gist of the article was you can go to any ECW match and CW Anderson never has a bad match, yeah. no matter who he's working. And my the th- next thing uh, was. I was getting the TV title because Rhino vacated it, Nova and I were going to fight for it, and I was getting a TV title from that, and Tommy, I think the pay-per-view after that was going to have a surprise tag partner against Hot Commodity, and I was going to come out and be his surprise partner, um, and I was going to eventually, that was going to turn me face. Uh, I was already getting, you know, people were coming, there was a group that came with pizza boxes with the CW on it, everybody was doing the CW hands. People was hating me, but by you know, but it was like love hate because by the end of the match they were like, man, fucking great match, C W.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, all that didn't get to happen.
4: Oh nope,
2: E C W. Unfortunately, went out of business. Now, to fast forward a little bit, unless there's something else you want to hit on there for that time, um, talk about. We'll talk about two more things before we wrap this up, and unless there's something else you want to get to, yeah.
3: um,
2: the. Talk about the, when, when Vince brought back ECW, the, the first pay-per-view, uh, one night stand was excellent. You were there in the audience and you got in the ring for the brawl with the Raw guys or WWE guys, or JBL and all those guys. Talk about that. And then when you came in, when they decided to bring it back full-time, what I always refer to as pretend ECW yeah, and, uh, Disney when you, uh, you got a, you got a, a. You actually had a contract briefly there uh, with the WWE.
4: It was <clears throat> that pay per view. Simon or Swinger and I was supposed to work Danny and Rokill on the pay per view, and it got pushed back to a dark match. Then it got pushed back to me doing a singles dark match, and Vince didn't want me going out there in a dark match because he didn't want anybody bumping or any crowd of the quote unquote hotness. To go away before the pay per view started. Well, obviously he's never really paid attention to ECW because we had dark matches all the time. And when that place went live, it was just like nothing that ever went on. So I was going to be a part of the brawl. And Tommy said, you can sit back here with us or you can be out in the crowd and, you know, watch the show. So I went out there and sat in the crowd and got one of those damn $400 chairs and brought it home that they were selling. Um, the day Tommy called me, uh, for to be with WWE, uh, I was recently had, you know, I had liver failure that year in 05, this, the fall of that 05, and blew I my L5, what? blew my L5 and S1 a few weeks later, laid in the bed for 28 straight days, couldn't walk, ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner in bed. It was one of the, some of the most miserable d- days of my life, and he called me around April. I hadn't even bumped yet, and one he said, uh, C-Dub, he said, I just want to let you know WWE wants to sign you. I said, shut up. Why are you really calling? He goes, no, really. He said, they're bringing back ECW. He said, Paul and I got to handpick our guys. He says, I want you there. We're going to rekindle our feud. You're going to be our top heel. Um, and it's going to be just like it was. I said, so I don't have to go to Ohio Valley and train? He goes, nope. I said, Vince has no control over this. He says, no, Paul and I have complete control over what happens at, at uh, ECW. We're going to run smaller venues, and it's That's going to be just theory, like it was.
2: Didn't
4: it? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic in theory. So I – Tommy's really he's never lied to me about that stuff. I said, Tommy, you're one of my best friends. Uh you know, I'll take your word for it. So I said, What are they offering? And they were the base minimum, uh, which was thirty five thousand dollars a year. So was
2: that, that said, was for a four year contract, thirty five thousand.
4: Well, for, for the first year, yeah. But here's the the thing with, with those contracts and with anybody there, that after you're there one year, you get every house show, every pay per view, every T V taping, every residual you get you get um, part of that. You get bonuses of that. Everyone you're on, everything you're part of, you get that. You know, it's like yeah. if I'm not mistaken, like the Dudley signed for a little over a hundred thousand dollars the first year they were there, and at the end of their year with their residuals, their you know T-shirts and bonuses and stuff, they made over a million dollars. Yeah. So that, that was a good chance I was going to make in you know it, easily six easily six figures that year. So that was my incentive. Uh, They paid for my hotel, that was it, or excuse me, I'm sorry, they paid for my airline, that was it. I had to cover hotel, I had to cover car, uh, my own food. You had to be at the building like 11 o'clock in the morning, you didn't get out until like 11 o'clock at night. I was actually losing money being there. By the time I paid for rental, by the time I paid for hotels, I was losing money being there my first year. And after the very first show we did at the ECW Arena, I worked Sabu, Vince took it over. He didn't like the production. He didn't like the way the ECW arena looked, nothing. So he took it over and started bringing his own guys in. And what you saw was what Vince wanted. And once yeah. that happened, I could not get out of there fast enough. Um, at one time, Paul's idea was to push me. He started putting me over on Stevie Richards and Shannon Moore. Um, they had a – Vince had a kind of a problem with me because they – the agents never found anything wrong with my work because they always had to send in agent reports after every show. And Vince so Who was called,
2: your agent primarily when you were working there?
4: Uh, it was it varied. It went from Dean Malenko to Arn to Michael Hayes. Um, one like one. Dean told Tommy, and told, Tommy had said this in a, in a hotel one time that he said that Vince called Dean Malenko and said, you know, you have all these this agent report and you have all these critiques you have for these guys. But you never have anything for C.W. Anderson. Why is that? goes, because his work's perfect. Vince says, bullshit. There's nobody that's perfect. He said, well, C.W.'s as close as they come. He said, he's slow. He's methodical. He doesn't hurt anybody. His matches make sense. The people hate him. He is the definition of a professional wrestler. Vince said, find something wrong with him. He said, well, if I had to critique him, he could be a tad more intense, but that's it. So the next weekend, we're in Texas. I'm working Shannon Moore. Shannon and I go out. There. We have a match. I come in the back. I sit down. <clears throat> Ted DiBiase walks up to me. Never met Ted before in my life. I stand up. I say, "Hey, Ted." Says, "Nice to meet you, sir." I say, "He says I know exactly who you are, CW." He said, "You're the reason I'm here." He said, "Vince wanted." He said, "Vince sent me down here to find out if the hype about you was true." He said, "Son, it is." He says, "You're amazing to watch."
2: And Vince just just didn't want to use you. I, I do It goes back to the thing: you, you weren't
4: a body guy, CW. Yep, and won't. Tommy told yeah. me he said uh, he says unless you can grow some hair and get steroids and make you taller, Vince ain't gonna do anything with you. Um, he wanted, yeah. you know, he cha- he changed my name, which, and I'll tell I'll tell There's about that.
3: Yeah.
4: he goes. Um, uh, yeah, he, he Paul tells me one night, he goes, Vince wants to change your name. I said, why? Well, well, you know. He thinks, you know, CW and CM Punk, people will get you all confused. I like, well, I can see that. You know, Punk, <laughs> Punk's kind of tall and slim and it's tattooed up and got hair. I'm bald. You know, a little heavy set. Wear a singlet. Yeah, I can see where you can get that confused. Well, it's not only that, CW. You know, you know, the CW Network and there's CW Anderson. He might think you're working for the CW Network. I said, Paul, whether you know it or not, I'm pretty sure the CW Network got their name from me because I have a source that told me the very first promo shot that the CW network did was with two A-list movie actors. One person's holding the C, one person's holding the W. They'll promote their show, They're their CW network. I said, I'm the one to come up with that. So he's. I said, you know what, Paul? I don't even give a damn anymore. I don't want to be here. I said, he can change my name into whatever he wants. I said, as long as I get to keep, keep my CW hook, that's all I care. And then he come out with that damn Christopher W. Anderson, and I debuted it at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Uh,
2: yeah where we're obviously it wasn't just somewhere in the marina. It was a place where, you know, you you have a legacy yes. Your drive-quit match. It's an ECW crowd. And you have one, if I remember right, did you only have one match on Sci-Fi.
4: Yeah, with one was, w.
2: Anderson against, it was against Punk.
4: Yeah, it was against Punk. They give us eight minutes. I go out there, the ref stage. you now have five. As soon as we get ready to start. And Punk's like, he said, let's get your stuff in uh we, we go through the match i worked punk before on indies and stuff like that and worked with him in japan and uh he said he said let's go through we can just condense the match as we're going he said let's get some of your stuff in i'm like punk screw this man i said you're the one that gonna push let's get your stuff in screw what i gotta do and i got the spine buster in you know uh he did the, the tarantula with me he we wanted to cut that out but i wouldn't let him because it was getting you know they were there they were going to push punk they weren't gonna push me but the ecw guys they were burying. So I let Punk get all his stuff in, and uh, got my Spinebuster in, and you know, that was my only TV match. And his finish was that choke at the time, that submission, and he was lifting my head up, and I was thinking, I was swear he, I could have swore he was saying tap, but he was telling me to lift my head up more, and I was tapped too quick, and kind of orange got on me about that. Um, so that was, I think that was the only critique I ever got from being there.
2: Now, uh, in addition to to AML. Um you did some spots for the uh new NWA Power show uh that Billy Corgan is running down in Atlanta. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh,
1: are you
2: are you, are you doing any more work for them?
4: Um, they said they were going to be in touch, which I'm I'm hoping I'm coming back for the Crockett Cup. They this week or next week I'm going to be on TV because we filmed in uh the end of January and um it's a match for myself and Kayla Connolly versus the Dalsons. It's uh that we that we did. And um, really good match, but I'm hoping to be back more. Uh that end of that match, Billy loved it. It was exactly what he wanted. You know, Billy and I have known each other since ECW. Um He was a big component for me being there at NWA because I messaged him when it was going. I said, if you ever need anything from me, please feel free. I messaged uh, another guy, Dave Lagana, who I know as well. And, look, if you need me, I'm there. I'm just here to help. I love the NWA. It's what I grew up on. I think the world of Billy Corgan and that locker room at NWA is fantastic. It's very relaxed. Everybody there with the same goal in mind. I know everybody there. Uh, all the agents, all the boys working. And it's a fun locker room, um, to be in. And there's some great workers there. And I, you know, I hope to be a part of the NWA for a long time as, you know, as long as my career is going on. Yeah, it's
2: a great roster. And uh, if anybody out there wants to check it out, that and you can. Find it on YouTube. The show comes out on uh is it Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday? T- Tuesday It's Tuesday
4: at six oh five six oh five Eastern. Yeah it's NWA dot yeah. oh, excuse me, youtube dot com slash NWA. I think yeah, I think it's just straight NWA. It's N W A power with it with power spelled with three Rs.
2: Yeah, you can just just go to YouTube and, and Google NWA or go go to YouTube and type in NWA and it'll come right up. And yep. you can also find it on their Facebook page and it's a lot of fun. It's an old school wrestling show. I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask you to comment on this because your relationship with uh with Legano and all. But uh, I'm a huge Cornette Mark, so I hated to see uh, him getting taken away from the show. I don't know how you feel about that. You, you don't
4: have to comment I, on it. As far as so what Cornette to- said, I don't want you know. I really. I, I didn't hear it. All I'm hearing. is Second thought, I really like Jim Cornette. Um, I hate he's not there because he fit perfect for NWA. Uh, they had you know Logano and him had to do what they felt was right and you can't complain, you know, they're the ones running it, so whatever they say goes, and, you know, I, th- I thought Jim Cornette added to that because of his legacy at NWA, but, hey, I, I'm just a, a wrestler there, and I hate it. I hate it happening because, you know, there's... It's just bad sometimes that things like this happen.
2: No, it is, and, I mean, that, as far as what he said, the, my problem with it was if, if it was going to be a problem and the NWA wanted to release a, a, an apology for it, the show's taped as you mentioned way in advance it should have been taken out before it even hit youtube
4: there's so, so, there's so many people get so offended about every little thing you have really you really never know what's going to set somebody off and you know i know dave and them had a hard very hard decision to make and nobody likes being the bad guy in this uh because you know you're always the bad guy in somebody's story it doesn't okay. matter what it is but it, it's a, it's a shame that people have gotten so sensitive nowadays over everything. And whether the comment was justified, I don't, I don't condone either way. I don't want to get right. on that topic, but you can't, yeah. everybody can't be offended about everything. Sometimes you, whatever the comment is or anything, because now, nowadays, I have to watch what I say because anything can get construed for, they can take it in their own yeah. way and like, God knows. It's also freedom of speech when it comes to that. Not That has nothing to do with cornet stuff, but what I, what I say. You can not like it. You don't have to look at my page. You don't have to do any of that. But damn, exactly. you should be able to say what you want to on your own page and you know things like that. But that's, that's another interview.
2: Yeah, and within reason. And, uh, you
4: know, yeah. and,
2: and one more thing about that, and then we'll, then we'll get off that topic. This, this, really, to be honest with you, I don't think very many people were offended about this coming. I think it was a bunch of people that don't like his uh, his 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 comments on uh, AEW, mm-hmm. and uh, their fan base kind of found a way to get rid of him from the NWA. But anyway,
4: uh, it's, it's, that's true. It's sad. It's sad. It's sad all the way around for Lagana, for those guys that had to make that decision for Jim Cornette. And again, you, you want people. It's just you can't say you can't be honest anymore to some extent, or you can't say what you want because people don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear anything. The the new generation, the millennials, to some extent, want you to cater to them, and some of them don't want their feelings hurt, but it has to be sometimes. The real world sucks.
2: Speaking of millennials, what are your thoughts on the current style of wrestling? I mean, you're an ECW guy, so you're used to the -the over-the-top stuff. Do you think my biggest issue with the current style of wrestling, when I say the current style of wrestling, I'm talking about, we'll say the AEW style, nobody seems to sell anymore. That's my biggest issue with it. Mine too. you you, you got to make something mean something. I mean, if you do 15, sometimes they'll do 15 moves in the match they'll look better than the finisher. They haven't yeah. sold any of those. And it, that. that That's,
4: you go, you know, you watch. I, I will say, you know, as far as, from my perspective, you know, going back to me and George South, our feud this last year, I don't think we did any moves out of the 80s. And the match we had in July, uh, uh, the owner said he just to let you know the the implica- or the feelings we brought into a match doing this style of old school matches. The owner said, "I've only cried once in professional wrestling." He said, "That was a night Shawn Michaels superkick Rick Flair to retire him." He said, "I just watched you and George South and cried twice with the emotion you had in the match." Um, it doesn't mean anything if you don't sell. The guys. At AEW, the guys at Impact, at W, there's, there's some of the most talented people, and just some of the things I wish I could do, I wish I was that talented, but I, I'm not. Um some of the things that are over, I don't think is, is over in my opinion, some of the things I don't like, but hey, I'm not the fans. If you, we did over the top at, at ECW, but we sold what was given to us. Chair shots, going through tables, all that stuff any kind of move we solved that move and you know you're these guys are hitting moves now that would normally pin us back then and it's just a pop up for the next spot there's no rhyme no reason you know oh telling a story still works and people still want to believe and there's a there's the new niche of fans that they like that style of wrestling and that, hey you're not going to please everybody you're not going to go out there. People don't like old school. People don't like hardcore wrestling. People don't like, you know, the AEW style. Some of that stuff. But sometimes you have to sell in this business to make them believe yeah. and to make them get interested in it. But you're right. There's a lack of selling that's going around.
2: Absolutely. Just, just, just slow it down a hair. Take, take. You know, use. Remember, some of that stuff has to be a finisher. You can't use it all for a spot. Slow it down and sell. You ain't got to change the style. Just slow it down to sell a little, and uh, I think you know, we, I think it would be a lot more enjoyable.
4: We all we all got a bump card in this business, and the younger guys, some of them haven't realized that when you get my age, your bump card starts filling up, and you start looking at okay, is this move worth it? Is this move risky enough? You know, Dallas Dallas Page told me something when I was at the power plant because I used to go hang out at Raven's house since I was friends with Lodi and got to know Raven quite well. I was sitting at Raven's house one night and Dallas Page come over to hang out and I, that's the first time I'd ever met Page. And uh, I said, Page, you know, I, I told him my name and what I was doing at the power plant. I said, if you could tell me one thing that would help me throughout my career that I could use every time, what would it be? He says, if you think you're going slow, slow down more. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, and, and that's, that's right because it, it gives a chance for everything to sink in everybody to see everything Look, and just tell a story.
4: The, the attention span... I teach this in my seminars too, and take this in for for wrestling fans and people in general. Humans have an eight second attention span. Goldfish have a nine second attention span. <laughs> so if you're going, people they can't they can't keep up. They can't yeah. remember the stuff. So you got to you have to at some extent slow it down, and as I say, let it marinate, so that people yeah. can register it.
2: Absolutely, CW. Where people where can people find you on <laughs> social media? And uh, if anybody out there, I, I don't know if any. Anybody out there is in in the uh, wrestling business that might want to book you or if you want to give that information out.
4: Everything is ECW Anderson. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, ECW Anderson. You can message me through any of them if you want to book me that way. Uh, If you want to send me an email, enforcercw at gmail. Uh, But everything else is ECW Anderson. And if you're a fan and you want to say hello or anything along those lines, ask me a question, drop me a line, I always respond always. I never ignore anybody because without the fans, without you guys, without them, there is no me. So I appreciate everybody that, you know, has always been a fan that has watched me and uh, you know, always say, whether well, you like me or hate me.
2: Absolutely. That is C.W. Anderson, C.W. Safe travels, my friend.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, C.W. We're going to have to get him back on and Bubba, are you now a, a wrestling fan? Have we made you a wrestling fan? Will you go to the wrestling matches with us?
3: Yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, listening to that interview. Um, that's why I was actually I was tied up with my son's baseball practice at the time. Um, but otherwise, I was going to chime in uh, with what Kyle referenced. Um, I think maybe it was actually off the air, but just talking about the Sandman uh, and the, the Singapore cane back in the ECW days there in the late 90s.
2: Yeah, I, was, uh, I asked Bubba one night to name uh, five wrestlers, and he, I do. He didn't watch wrestling at all growing up, and he named the guys you would expect—you know, Hulk <laughs> Hogan, uh, Ric Flair, John Cena, The Rock—and then he just spits out the Sandman. Uh, I was like, the Sandman? Like, what do you know about the Sandman? So the shocked me. He had watched an ECW pay-per-view with a friend uh, in the late '90s, and uh, he remembered the Sandman because of his uh, seeker for Kane. Anybody? Whoever watched ECW would remember the Sandman coming out, drinking beer, bashing it over his head, and uh, hitting people with a uh, with a wood cane. So, but uh, yeah, CW great interview, and uh, like Dave said, we're gonna we're gonna have to go to an indie card somewhere, go to a nice independent wrestling match, and uh,
1: you know we need to invite. You
2: gotta take you gotta take uh Riley with you there. Yeah, I'll try to
1: bring Alexander McKenzie. We need to get uh, Pirate out with us, too. He's a big wrestling fan.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's Stevie Fly. Don't forget
1: Stevie. Oh, Stevie Fly, yeah. He's a huge wrestling yeah.
3: fan. So. He, he's awesome, too. Yeah. I was just going to say, Dave, I know earlier uh, you asked me um, what was that number. Um, it was like, like 222000 and some a few hundred That's dollars right. that, that we had spent, and that was $86,000 roughly. More than what we had spent the previous year, and uh, like you and said,
2: you, you guys are referencing basketball recruiting,
3: right? Yes, the the, the money that we had spent, uh, whether it was uh, you know flying our coaches around the country, hotels, bringing recruits in, uh, everything with the recruiting budget, but uh, but we had um, we had spent that two hundred twenty two thousand and some. Um, Wichita State was second. $223,000, um, roughly $1,200 more than what we had spent, and then far and away, the most in the league, and um, I'm not sure how many new players they brought in, but UConn, um, UConn and Dan Hurley, they had spent something like 507000 <laughs>
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> that was unbelievable, no doubt about it, but...
3: It's all that money. It's all that money uh, they're bringing in, Coach Epsil in the football program, paying in, paying in those ridiculous bonuses—thirty-five thousand dollars to uh, outgain a team and, and lose by five touchdowns. I hear. Wow. You, I, I hear.
2: Uh, I hear. Coach Epsil gets five hundred
1: dollars if he pisses in the morning that doesn't miss the toilet at all. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that, you know. Uh, speaking of which, uh, well, speaking the of no, no, no. Speaking of oh, incentives, um, just with Coach Dooley, I think, you know, that's been one of the great things about uh, when we talk about in the past about contracts with Coach Houston, with uh, Dooley, with Cliff Godwin, Kim McNeil, whoever it is, that's the best way for us because it's like it's it's, an, it's a you know, win-win. Yeah, as long as
2: the incentives are realistic and they're good for the coaches and they're not uh, – as long as they're good for both parties, so uh, – Ethel's incentives are only good for
1: him. I mean I I've never no, seen No no i swear, I'm I've never that. seen
2: such an incentive based contract that it's just so weird.
1: It's like with the when the you have a performer and uh Kyle will appreciate this. Some of the weird, weirdest writers uh writers are where in a contract where you have you have to provide the artists with such a thing I think Motley Crue, back in the day, they're back on tour ridiculous prices for their concert. But anyway, they uh, back in the day, you had to have a python backstage, a snake. I mean, there's all kinds of things like that. So when you said ridiculous things in the contract, it made me think about some performers have to have like a a chef and Madonna like has to have a chef and yoga instructor and all this crazy stuff uh, behind the stage when uh, whenever she performs stuff like that.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I I I, I get that. I guess more so than... You know, some of the stuff in Ezra's contract, but that's their problem. We don't have right. to deal with it. So, uh, you know, as far as incentive based contracts for coaches at East Carolina, yeah, that's fine, but they need to be win loss based incentive based contracts. Uh, th- that's what I don't get about Ezra. It's just, it's stuff in the game. I mean, why does he get a bonus? Because he scores, you know, because, somebody has, because somebody has 200 yards rushing. Who gives a damn?
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I was gonna say I have a few a few thoughts along a couple thoughts along um, these lines uh, as far as the UConn situation that Randy Ansel contract uh, I guess their AD uh, has never heard We're the expression as, as far as stats are for losers but uh,
2: I'm surprised you said that, brother.
3: But uh, but yeah, that's what. In addition, in addition to that, um, as far as the amount of money that we spent. On the basketball recruiting budget, I know, like you guys said, in addition to the numbers, um, just uh, I think Dave may have said something along these lines, but just and like Coach Dewey has said numerous times, this is a build, not not a rebuild, and if we want to get to somewhere we've never been, then we have to make an investment that we've never done before, not only just with with that. Or with those funds, I should say, but and then also the the facilities and and so on.
2: Yeah, and then private facility were there. Uh, I do think Minji's needs some upgrades, but uh, our private facility's nice, and you know we but, uh, we're making a commitment. So,
3: but and, and hey, give uh, Ryan Robinson, John Gilbert, and the, the new regime credit. They are spending uh, the money that was necessary, you know, to dress up what is currently there um, with. With the wraps and and so forth on the on the uh, concourse with the, with the Adidas brand pattern and, and yeah. some of that some of that stuff the fight song and it's crazy that that stuff hadn't been done before where we just had plain gray walls or whatever they were at the time and it was just just ridiculous detail, and, and, detail, and instead, yeah. instead we were spending money on fresh cut flowers
2: yeah well Jeff Combs an idiot um, <laughs> I. Uh, I wanted to mention one more thing, guys, before we wrap this up. Um, I was thinking about ways to increase football attendance, win or lose, and uh, one of the things that I can remember growing up, Bubba, and I know uh, Dave, debut too, but uh, you guys will remember this. The 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 campaigns we used to do and how much we used to feature tailgating in campaigns for pirate football, like, you know, the, 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 back to the spring game, it's the great pirate purple gold pigskin pig out party and ain't it great to tailgate and all that crap do you guys think that we should emphasize tailgating and promoting tailgating and that win or lose it seems like the thing we used to do a lot was use tailgating in our marketing right and being there and being a part of it and being uh that east carolina was kind of the place to be the tailgate lots and it was a party and you want to be there win or lose Is there a way we can do that in marketing in 2020 to, to kind of help with attendance
3: i'll tell you what i would do i guess with. If- Okay, go ahead, Dave. Uh,
1: what I would do is still, you still from the best. Uh, you know, Alabama, I don't know if you guys probably know this because you guys are college football fanatics, but, um, Alabama on a home game, there's no class on Friday whatsoever. And what they do is, um uh, anybody that wants to bring a RV can camp the whole weekend. Um, and they have like basically from Thursday night to, I guess, Monday for a long time, they have people are there, they're partying. I feel like that, in my opinion, this is my opinion, it feels like, maybe it's just me, that they want us gone. Uh, they want us there for a few hours and gone, where it seemed like back in the day you could tailgate as long as you want. People were there for, and I'm talking about win, lose, or draw, like you were talking about. It just seemed like they the tailgate went on forever, and now it just seems like it's just kind of like, like just go through the motions. We're just going to do a tailgate because that's what we've always done. It's not like the, I guess what I'm trying to say, it's not like the event it used to be. So why not have it where people come in Thursday nights, they bring their RVs, they bring their, uh, bring your vehicles there and people camp or tailgate or something for a couple of days versus, uh, just having it for a few hours and then everybody's done. It just seems kind of I don't know. The game days seem to be rushed now. So that's well, just my opinion.
3: Yeah, along those lines, Dave. Uh, I guess in this year really, even though we weren't winning much, um, we did have pretty good kickoff times, um, which was oh, yeah. somewhat surprising. But uh, but um, yeah, I was gonna say win more football games so you don't play as many noon games, but.
2: And but, yeah, there's a marketing. From the, but
3: you know, the but no, I was going to say something that you know, I certainly don't anticipate it happening. Because I think even I think Ryan Robinson referenced it in an in interview that he's had over the last several months. Uh, maybe it was prior to last season when maybe Brian Bailey or someone brought it up with him. But uh, they talked about the uh, bikini contest, and so that would certainly wow. uh, that would certainly uh, improve things with the male faction, but. <laughs> But uh, in favor of that. But, 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 but no seriously, as far as other things,
2: Colin. I... <laughs> but hey, let, let, let's think of the next level. Let's do an old school 1980s. Dave, you'll know what I'm going with
3: here. Ryan, West get Kyle to, a, Kyle to be a to be judge. I
1: know you're gonna say that. God knows, I knew it. I know, like
3: Kyle's definitely
1: my brother from a different mother. I knew you were gonna say that. Hey you know what, Um, I know we live in the Me Too generation, but I think everything um, comes and goes. I think we're in a kind of a sensitive time right now. But um, things like that don't offend me, but I know there's a lot of people that are offended by it now or they have to pretend they're offended by it now or whatever. Um, I'm not worried. That kind of stuff doesn't get to me. I think there's other stuff in the world that that my point is that really offend me, and that's not... uh, Something that me, so well, everybody has their own, I guess. Well, I own... can
2: guarantee you, we're not going to use a bikini contests or a white t-shirt contest to, to, to help promote <laughs> tailgating. But <laughs> I mean, we need to come up with something. I think there's a way to utilize that
1: to help attend it more. But you anyway. know, by the way, you know what? Uh, you know what I was thinking about the other day, Kyle. You haven't, uh, you didn't ask Gilbert about. You kind of chickened out on. Uh not a clue, my friend. You, you chickened out on asking him about uh, Bon Jovi. I mean, you had the AD or You know that show what? Right I, I
2: I didn't, it didn't cross my mind. I coffee, know. I'm you know, Other things came up. <laughs> it didn't cross my mind. Well, you didn't either. So, All right, guys. Y'all ready to wrap this thing up?
1: Yes. Let's put this podcast to bed. I appreciate you guys very much. And uh, our great guests for Kyle from the Grange Barber and Barbara Rosenbaum, I'm Dave Richmond for the Force Objective Podcast.
0: You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective
1: and the objective is sports.